Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what are you dressing as for Halloween this year? Erin, I'm going out on a limb and I'm going to be the neighborhood cat lady. Oh, wow. Uh, how are you dressing for that? Just like how you Gonna normally dress? put my robe on and make <laughs> Norm make Norm Chunk take a walk outside. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, I decided I'm going to go as Prince. Perfect. Musical artist. Yeah, I put on my wig, my prince wig yesterday, and my daughter got mad. She told me to take it off. She said, no, mama. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Really fun episode. This is the last episode before Halloween. And we needed it. It had to be spooky. It had to be spooky. So we're kind of running the gamut. You know, we contain multitudes. We know Mm -hmm. you contain multitudes. So we've got a real ride when it comes to the topics we're covering this week. We're going over the news. We're going over the speakership boat. Uh, Lord knows where it's going to be by this time on Thursday. Uh, we're going to go over some abortion updates. Yep. Not great abortion updates, but you Never need great. to know about them regardless. We're going to talk a little bit about the Trump trials going on, <laughs> the, the little legal whoopsie doodle he's got going on in Georgia right now. And uh, then we got some really exciting guests. Such good guests. We're going to talk, Erin, you have wanted to have Amy Sound on for so long. And we're going to talk about some zombie laws. And some people zombie will find laws. out what that means when they listen. Yes, thrills and chills. And then a real treat. Chani Nicholas is joining us to talk about her work in astrology and Scorpio season and how sometimes looking to the stars helps everything make a little bit more sense. And then we've got a really fun, uh, we've got Caroline Rustin on. Caroline Rustin joins us. Talk about drama. So much drama. (laughs) All right, let's get to the show. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who, unlike Kim Kardashian, would have the good sense to not invite Ivanka Trump to our birthday party in the first place, much less post her on Maine. Kim! Kim. Who your fans are? Kim! Girl! 
What are you doing? I just, people who, th- who are so MAGA, they think Ivanka is like a style icon or whatever. You know, they think she's like the next Grace Kelly. People who are that that MAGA would also be the very first to call Kim Kardashian a slut for being married totally. as many times as she has and for having a sex tape. I think Kim Kardashian sucks, but not for those reasons. It's because she's no. friends with, like, ugh, bad choices. Bad choices. And especially uh, today is Ivanka and Jared's anniversary. She posted a real live, laugh, love sort of thing uh, <laughs> on Instagram, uh, literally with those words. Their marriage is a Scorpio. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe in Kim's defense, maybe Kim Kardashian is the last lawyer left who will possibly take on the Trumps. Entirely possible. And we know she's worked with him before. I think she took on, I think she took like five times to pass the baby bar or something like that. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a repping me. I'm just going to say that. No, no, I wouldn't not, want not, not for us. Not for no, us. Not, not for us, Kim, you dummy. Okay. It's been more than three weeks since House Republicans ousted their erstwhile speaker, Kevin McCarthy. And in that time, the majority party has still not managed to get its shit together enough to elect a new speaker. As a matter of fact, Tom Emmer was deposed in just four hours. Gone too soon. Gone too soon. I don't even know what he looked like. I don't even uh, know. What he, do you know what he looked like? He looked like a youth hockey coach. Okay. Like, that's kind of what he looked like. Um, So now, as of Wednesday morning, it looks like another one's about to walk the plank. Mike Johnson of Louisiana. By the way, I Googled Mike Johnson, and I, like, made a time range to not include the speaker race. And it turns out that's a pretty common name. Um, The most popular Mike Johnson on Instagram is a former Bachelor contestant. Uh, There's also Mike Johnson, a director of the film Corpse Bride, Uh, Mike Johnson Productions, twice awarded ACM Steel Guitarist of the Year. Uh, Yeah, he also uh, plays for, he also is a um, commentator about the Leafs and Panthers. Uh, Mm. There's another Mike Johnson who is a marine habitat resource specialist. I feel very bad for those Mike Johnsons over the next four to seven hours as uh, Mike Johnson of Louisiana eclipses their fame. Um, so a couple fun facts about Mike Johnson. He once voted against a one cent increase in Louisiana's sales tax. Mm-hmm. He believes medical marijuana is a gateway drug to other drugs, hmm, such as feeling better. <laughs> in Axios this morning, he's described as a, quote, policy-oriented, principled, conservative, if not a bit milk toast. I'm sorry. Understatement. I'm sorry. I don't like... Understatement and overstatement. If we're going to have fascists, it's like, look, he is a fascist, but he's boring. So it's fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. He was very embarrassingly and loudly booed for voicing opposition for reparations for black Americans on Juneteenth. Mm. You got to try hard to be that tacky. (laughs) He also led the amicus brief signed by more than 100 House Republicans in support of the Texas lawsuit seeking to overturn the 2020 election results in four swing states. Amazingly, he spent nearly 20 years practicing constitutional law. Big head scratcher. But Alyssa, as we now know, many brave men, and they are all men. All men. Twelve, to be exact, have tried and failed to muster the support they needed to achieve speakership of the House Republicans, and all so far have failed. Like the American Ninja Warrior finals, it seems that no man has what it takes (laughs) to make it all the way 
to the end of the ass-kissing gauntlet that is the race for leadership of the House. In that spirit, Alyssa, let's fire up some sad music. And let us remember the campaigns for Republican Speaker of the House that we have lost. All right. In memoriam, Kevin McCarthy was weaseled out by accused sex trafficker Matt Gates, along with fellow Republicans Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan, co-wrote a book called The Young Guns when all three men were in their 40s. Not young. We would also like to take a moment to remember the careers of Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor, gone but not forgotten. Gone but not forgotten. Steve Scalise, Louisiana. His party leadership aspirations were nearly thwarted when it was revealed in 2014 that in 2002 he'd addressed a white supremacist gathering organized by former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke. Ultimately, his party let him call that one an oopsie. Oh, and he once allegedly referred to himself as David Duke without the baggage. Jim Jordan, Ohio, was assistant wrestling coach, head coach at Ohio State University during the tenure of team doctor Richard Strauss, who was accused of molesting and sexually abusing at least 185 students in more than 2,800 separate incidents. Either too stupid to notice or too evil to care probably both, referred to by fellow Republicans as a quote-unquote legislative terrorist and part of a group of lemmings strapped with suicide vests. Wow, sad one, Jim. Jack Berman, Michigan, claimed his wife once said to him, oh, sure, who's going to vote for you? Nobody knows you. <laughs> Neither do I. Byron Donalds, Florida in 2000, pleaded no contest to felony bribery charges as part of a scheme to defraud a bank. That record has since been expunged. The Congressional Black Caucus rejected him. Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's rough. Kevin Hearn, Oklahoma, has made the fact that he once owned 18 McDonald's franchises in the Tulsa metropolitan area his whole personality. Asking for his fellow GOP lawmaker support, Hearn delivered a dear colleague letter to their offices stapled to a bag containing two McDonald's cheeseburgers. His colleagues call him McCongressman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that one's so good. Dan, is it Muser? Dan Muser? I Don't even know. I never heard of him. Dan Muser, <laughs> Pennsylvania, joined over 120 House Republicans in signing an amicus brief in support of the Texas lawsuit that aimed to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Also looks like Mitt Romney's evil twin. Gary Palmer, Alabama, was a walk-on wide receiver for the Alabama Crimson Tide, so he's probably gotten hit on the head a lot before his frontal lobe formed. Austin Scott, Georgia, born in 1969. Nice. Believes life begins at conception, yet strongly supports capital punishment. Pete Sessions, Texas. In 2016, he asserted that the site of the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, the scene of a terrorist mass shooting, was not a gay club. It was a gay club. His daddy was director of the FBI. And rounding out this group, Tom Emmer, Minnesota. Rejected last night in under four hours. <laughs> Once posted a video of himself firing a fully automatic machine gun just days before Pelosi's husband was attacked with the hashtag FirePelosi. Emmer also gets credit for not voting to overturn the 2020 presidential election, yet still signed the amicus brief supporting the Texas lawsuit that aimed to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. 
Gone but not forgotten. Gone but not forgotten. Speaker (laughs) candidates. What do you think Nancy Pelosi is doing right now? Tallying votes faster than any Republican. That's what I think she's doing. I think she's sitting on the House floor and she already knows whether Mike Johnson is going to win. None of the Republicans do, but Nancy knows. You know that kind of cliche in movies where there's like a kid that's a genius in class and they're just kind of sitting in the back and all they have is like a pencil and notebook and everybody has all their computers out? Yeah. And the teacher calls on them to embarrass them and the person's like, yeah, uh, the answer is the square root of negative two. What? Yep. And then they're just, they, that's Nancy like, with counting she's like, votes. She's like, just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's Nancy with counting votes. She's just sitting there like tapping her pencil like everyone in this class is worse at this than I am. Uh, but it's got to feel good. It's got to feel good. Moving on, some courtroom news. Uh, Donald Trump is in court in like three different, two different places right now, right? Yep, there are two yep. Trump trials occurring simultaneously. Um, one in New York and mm-hmm. one in uh, Georgia, although Trump himself isn't yet on trial. It's just his co-conspirators. There were some uh, fireworks and tears in the courtroom this week. Former Trump campaign lawyer Jenna Ellis pleaded guilty on Tuesday in the Georgia election subversion case and will cooperate with Fulton County prosecutors. That's the third guilty plea among the, what, what was it that Trump called it? It was like the superhero squadron or the whatever captain underpants brigade i don't know <laughs> they um they they this was his legal super team right mm-hmm. uh jenna ellis was on the legal super team the kraken was supposed to be released the kraken ate them all uh maimed them um and jenna ellis is now pleading guilty i was kind of surprised to see in addition to you know i saw her crying in front of the court uh-huh. very very much like the tears of a person who got caught and Honestly, it's going to take a lot more than that, Jenna, before you're not a persona non grata. But she cried. She said she was very sorry. She said she regretted what she'd done. And uh, in addition, she agreed to uh, cooperate. She was sentenced to only five years probation in order to pay $5,000 in restitution. And a uh, hundred hours of community service, Aaron. I got to say, I got to <laughs> say, we were quoted $11,000 for a liver biopsy for a dog recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like ha- less than half of the cost of a liver biopsy for a dog at VCA Animal Hospitals in Los Angeles. I don't know. It doesn't seem like very much money. I don't know. No, Maybe the lower I, cost I, of living. I don't know. It's like, I mean, I guess all this. So first yesterday, I was in the car when this was happening and I was listening to CNN on the radio. And Erin, I had completely forgotten who she is, was like, why is this woman sobbing? And then (laughs) she got to one of my favorite parts. Quote, if I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this experience with deep remorse. Girl, you were taking instructions from Rudy Giuliani. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also think, like, I I really don't have very much patience for weaponized tears from women. Like, I, I've, I, have you ever worked with somebody who weaponizes tears? Yeah, of course. Who, who, like, acts like a total asshole, and then when they're called on it, it's like they cry. And then you're like, okay, well, now I feel bad because I've made you cry. And you end up apologizing to them when they were the ones who were the assholes in the first place. Exactly. Jenna's the asshole. (laughs) Yeah. There are powerful people who do this still. Jenna is not alone. There are powerful, well, mostly women, who will cry when they're called out for being assholes. Assholes. 
It's it's got to stop, ladies. We it's it's not we got we got cool stuff to weaponize that isn't crying when we're jerks, right? I, I, I mean, cry when I'm when I'm about to have a confrontation. So but. then I was said, "Oh, me too. I can't. You know, you know how I am with confrontation. But you know, it's like she does all this. So now she goes through the process, and her her. It's like, what does she know? This is the only interesting part of all of this, is that for what she did, and the punishment she got, which was largely nothing. But what does that mean she's going to say about Donald Trump to people who matter? Because she had to have – she must have some good stuff. Or on Rudy Giuliani. Sidney Powell is the one that really makes me go, hmm. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. Because she was originally charged with seven felonies. And she ended Mm -hmm. up pleading guilty last week to six misdemeanors, six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties. Um, She basically admitted to interfering with the election systems in Coffee County, Arizona, like literally one of those like a a hack into an attempt to hack into the computer systems. Um, That doesn't I mean, I don't know whatever she's also offered to cooperate, whatever she has better be worth it um because six misdemeanors is i mean zero misdemeanors is better than six misdemeanors but it's yeah, much but less like than seven felonies but here's the other thing again what she must have on trump because mm-hmm. as of last week she was still posting false claims about 2020 being rigged as of last week hmm. so knowing that the judge sees all of this they see everything she had to have some good stuff for them to be like, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I'll be disappointed. I mean, she's a terrible person, and I feel like she should have gotten more punishment even if she had this deal. Though I did learn an interesting thing about all the different levels of, like, immunity and cooperation, and it feels like the one she has weaseled her way into is like, okay, girl, you're going to do this. We're going to tell you this. Like, you're going to tell us what we want to know, but they can still, if I understand, and lawyers will tell us if we're wrong. They can she still can throw still out the be, deal? Yeah. I okay. Think they can, I think they can still throw out the deal if she either doesn't cooperate or, like, if she's found to be in charge – in if she is found to be guilty in another district. Like, hmm. it doesn't – it seems like – but who knows because nobody has the details. Mm, yeah. And uh, again, Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis, only two of the three. The other one was Kenneth Chesbro, which everybody keeps wanting to say Cheesebro because he's from Wisconsin. And it looks like it's pronounced Cheesebro, but it's Chesbro. Chesbro. I, I, on behalf of Wisconsin, I apologize. There's a lot of jerks that come out of my state. I really feel bad about it. But there's also a lot of cool people. A lot of cool people. A lot people. of cool people. Harry Houdini. Well, he escaped, but, you know. Anyway, uh, so Chesbro also pleaded guilty. Similar punishment, similar circumstances to Ellis. He pled guilty to one felony and has the same punishment, five years probation, 5000 in restitution, and agreed to cooperate. So we'll see how that goes. Alyssa, you got uh, a little bit of a bummer of a roundup for us. Why don't you kick us off? I do have a bummer of a roundup. Aaron, abortion, still making news everywhere. And we have quite a few post-Dobbs abortion updates this week. First, a new research report led by the Society of Family Planning shows that abortions have increased since Roe v. Wade was overturned. What? 
What? Increased. Increased. Oh, my God. It's almost like not providing anything to help people have children safely or increase the social safety net at all doesn't make people want to have more babies. Pretty much, pretty much. Erin states that do allow abortions performed almost 117,000 more than expected. States with bans naturally performed about 115,000 fewer. The data also showed that more people are opting for medication abortion instead of an in-person procedure. Clearly, the demand for abortion has remained the same. People just have to go to different places to get the care they need. Another note on this, um, we're still waiting to see what SCOTUS does about the Fifth Circuit's decision in August that seeks to reinstate the restrictions to mifeprestone, a baseless legal challenge over access to medication abortion, which we now see is what everybody really does need and is using. Mm-hmm. But there is a way, if, if mifeprestone does get ruled whatever, uh, unsafe after 20 years of it being used safely, which is very stupid, but whatever, facts don't matter when you've got zealotry. Um, There is another course of medication abortion that could be used. Uh, Misoprostol can be used in a similar way. Just wanted to put that out there. Doesn't mean you can't get an abortion through medication. And mifeprestone is still legal. Uh, it 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 is still legal. But Aaron, this all connects to another story we wanted to highlight about post-ops realities. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, calls about reproductive coercion, which is a form of abuse that gets in the way of someone making decisions about their body and health care, have doubled since Roe was overturned. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like all these pro-life people are really making life better. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere recently that childbirth, if it were a job, would be several times over more dangerous than being a cop. As, I read that. I yeah, read that. Yeah. As more more women per, you know, 100,000 die from childbirth in the U.S. than are killed as police officers in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does feel like kind of an abusive move by the government to force women to go through childbirth like yeah. it's like it's it's not it's not fun it's not easy it does cause even in the best case scenario it causes injury i feel like you know when a, when a partner does it to you when a partner tries to force you to carry a pregnancy that you don't want or force you to have an abortion that you don't want mm-hmm. that is considered domestic abuse but when the government does it what is that like law i guess uh, that's being a conservative, I guess, just m- like a yeah. massive meta d- reproductive coercion of, of women. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm it's like not these done. people think it's There's just a more. cakewalk. Okay. I, I don't know There's if I can more. take it. Fine. I'm sorry. Gird yourself. Okay. I'm girded. Georgia's, Georgia's Supreme Court has ruled that the state's six-week ban is still valid despite so many medical and feminist advocates trying to prove that it was unconstitutional. The ban isn't yet solidified. It's going back to a lower court to answer another question about the ban's constitutionality, so stay tuned. And finally, a federal court in Colorado ruled that a Catholic crisis pregnancy center, a.k.a. an anti-abortion center, is allowed, Erin, I'm going to need your help on this one, Okay, (laughs) is allowed to provide abortion reversal medication because of religious freedoms. Okay, Erin. 
What? What? <laughs> what? No, I seriously. Okay, so I have had a medication abortion before. And here's what yes. happens. You go to the doctor. It depends on where you are. But you, you are issued two pills. And one you take right away. And then one you wait like 12 hours. Yep. And you can, either, you can either take it or like take it as a suppository in your vagina. And one ends the pregnancy. And the other one prompts the uterus to expel the contents of the uterus. Um, so it's like a super period, and it's it it's not it's not doesn't tickle, you know. It's not the, right. it's not the greatest, but it's definitely by an order of magnitude less painful than having a baby that you do not want to have, um, or being pregnant. So it's it's a two dose thing, and I don't know how chemically how it's, Aaron. It's, it makes no sense. It makes it's you would not have, possible. You would have a very short window of time for there to be any sort of intervention whatsoever to for the first pill. But like, look, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a doctor. I've I've just uh, read Aaron, a lot neither about are these people. I apparently. mean, these are just people. I mean, look, look, I've called it pregnancy fanfic before. How they're like, yeah, we could just take the ne- an ectopic pregnancy, just pop that sucker right in the right in the uterus and it'll start its own little placenta lickety split scientifically impossible this is just how people wish things worked but they don't work that way and i don't know i i don't understand i don't understand i want to know i want stats i want stats because i want stats on how many people have actually tried to do this really not just like fake numbers that they make up to justify their own existence i want real stats of how many people have actually tried to reverse an abortion secondly um oh and by the way when i you know i was like a little bit conflicted before i had mine and mm-hmm. when i took the first pill i felt peace come over me inner peace i was like i've done the right thing this is the path i've chosen so like in no world was i like no ah! well, whatever so Aaron, do you I, think I, I, the, I, do you think the abortion reversal medication is like that invermectin horse stuff that donald trump said cured covid it's too it's progesterone it's progesterone <laughs> it's literally like a, a, a an artificial like hormone that your body produces a lot of when you're pregnant so, like, when you're actually, when you're pregnant, pregnant, and you plan, and the, and the pregnancy is proceeding as planned, the amount of progesterone in your body increases because, like, that's just something that happens. So, I think that the, the, the fanfic idea here is that it can somehow swoop in and be like, no, to the, to the first. Not now. Yeah, to the first dose of mifepristone. But I don't know, is there any evidence that it works? I don't, I can't imagine that it would be ethical to study that, but maybe they could do some kind of survey. Secondly, who, how many people actually like change their mind within hours of having the first dose of an abortion medication? I don't think that that's real. I honestly think that this is one of those really cynical ploys on the part of crisis pregnancy centers to prey on the wallets of people to the people who failed high school science and think abortion is murder. Like that's what I think it is. It's trying to get people to open their wallets to 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 give them money. That's that's what I think it is. I think you're probably right about that. It's all about fucking money. Oh, this is so, this is, look, I haven't taken a science class since the year of our Lord, 2003, maybe. And I, I feel like I know more about medicine than this thing. Aaron, I haven't taken science since 1994, and I can still diagram a cell, okay? I am more of a doctor <laughs> than these people are. You show me the nucleus, the mitochondria, I can do it all, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Anyway, n- none of these people's 
None of these people are the brains or muscles of the cell. Um, okay, what else do we have to talk about in news this week? Oh, guys, uh, Ohio early voting has started on yes. issue one and issue two. Issue one regarding abortion, enshrining reproductive freedom, and miscarriage care. So even if you don't think you'll ever have an abortion in your life, if you might someday have a miscarriage and you want to make sure that you can get medical treatment for it without your doctor getting in trouble, you want issue one to succeed. Issue two, marijuana. Every Like, why not? It's It's great. I love it. Everybody should... Everybody should smoke more marijuana and drink less alcohol is my professional opinion. Um, but I, I do want to point out, I wanted to flag something. Mm-hmm. I was listening to the Today on Ohio podcast, which I listen to with a lot of frequency because it turns you out do. Ohio is very interesting. Um, the Ohio Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, is attempting a voter purge now after early voting has already begun. And he's being real mm. weaselly about it. So Ohioans who are listening, don't... Sleep on this. They are nope. trying all the Weasley things in the world. If you have your ballot already and you're planning on voting absentee, vote. Send it in. Get it over with. Check that off yeah. your box. Tell your friends and neighbors how important it is to vote in this election. Um, you have the opportunity to enshrine a right in your state constitution that most Americans do not enjoy. So take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Go vote. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. Go vote now. Early voting is happening as we speak. Texas and Mississippi also have important elections happening. Read up on candidates before you hit the polls. Your vote really, really matters, especially locally. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the zombie law that threatens access to reproductive freedom 150 years after it was written. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who are tired of laws written by men who are afraid of women. All right, Alyssa. Alyssa, we're weeks deep, weeks deep into spooky season. And this year, we've saved the most spine-tingling tale of all for the week before Halloween. We're talking about a terrifying and real zombie, a piece of draconian slut panic legislation from 150 years ago, long thought dead, but in recent years has been spotted roaming the halls of America's (laughs) highest courts. Our guest today is an expert on the scared little man behind that terrifying zombie law. She's the author of The Man Who Hated Women, Sex, Censorship, and Civil Liberties in the Gilded Age, a book all about Anthony Comstock and the laws he wrote that still threaten our bodily autonomy today from beyond the grave. Amy Stone, welcome to Hysteria. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Really glad to be here and talk about how past is prologue. Yeah, yeah, and in a in a very spooky way. If you're somebody who cares about bodily so autonomy, spooky. <laughs> so, who was Anthony Comstock, and what was the Comstock Act? Okay, Anthony Comstock was born in 1844 in New Canaan, Connecticut. Which, at the time that he was born there, as opposed to the time that the novel The Ice Storm was set there. Um, was an agrarian town, um, and he was raised strict congregationalist. And he was very inspired by his mother, who would tell the children Bible stories. There was a ton of church. They basically went, like, all day Sunday, like, came back for some milk, and then, like, went back for another four hours in in a sled, you know, if it was snowing. 
So Anthony, what was really interesting about him um, had was one of, you know, which was common for that time, a large group of children. His mother wound up having six children. But when she gave birth to his sister, Harriet, Anthony was 10, came home to find his mother dead in a pool of blood on the floor because she had suffered a uterine hemorrhage following the birth of Anthony's sister. And that was this event that you might think would have made him sensitive to women's bodily autonomy. Instead, he felt that his mother had died giving the ultimate sacrifice because, of course, you're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. He served in the Civil War without much incident. He became very good at kind of clerical work, which explains his, he had a very OCD type orientation. Um, And he moved to New York in his 20s to try to become a dry grocer. Sadly for him, New York had sex everywhere. There were prostitutes walking the streets. There was porn being sold to you. You walked into a cigar shop only to find out that there was sex for money going on upstairs. And he basically, like, like, can I say, lost his shit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He, He could not take it. So he wound up joining his local YMCA. Um, And it's funny because, you know, you think about like the song YMCA, but the origins of the YMCA is they had all these young people, men and women, coming to American cities for the first time following the Civil War. And they were basically in shock. They were from very small communities and they were not used to the noise, the traffic, the, the number of people on the streets. And so the YMCA was originally set up to provide housing for like young single guys. You had like a library, you had a gymnasium, but it was an alternative to living in a boarding house, which was where you'd be living with guys that were playing pool all night, getting in fights and drinking. So Anthony joined the YMCA and then through this weird set of circumstances wound up becoming an independent vice hunter, which basically meant he would go to these. <laughs> wow. Freelance vice what hunters. a dork. What a- you know, it's like, was it, should I, should I put that on my LinkedIn? Like, <laughs> freelance vice hunter. It meant that he would go to um, these dirty bookshops and he would try to get the guys in trouble with the cops. Of course, half the time, the cops looked the other way. They're like, I'm a customer, actually. (laughs) I really need this store. So he got frustrated because he he was not having success at shutting these guys down. And then he realized that most of the dirty material coming into the city was, was published by three or four men. And so he decided he needed money to try to get the plates that they were using to publish the books. And so he wrote to the YMCA to ask them for money, And his handwriting was so bad that Robert McBurney, the secretary of the YMCA, who has a Y named after him right now, was like, can you rewrite this and send it back? Because I can't (laughs) read your handwriting. Like our our whole reproductive future could have been different if he had gotten the letter and not asked him to rewrite it. Everything. So... He rewrote the letter, and it made its way into the hands of a guy named Morris Jessup, um, who was a a very wealthy YMCA um, bigwig and co-founded the American Museum of Natural History, and he was a banker. And basically, he started getting paid by them to go after these dirty booksellers. 
Now, you're probably asking, what does all this have to do about abortion rights and contraception? Because the Comstock Act, which was passed in 1873, was not the first federal obscenity law, but it was the first to criminalize the mailing of materials around contraception and abortion. So this included both syringes, which I think the closest thing would be like a douche today, which women used for hygiene, but they could also use um, following intercourse to flush their system out. Um, and all of this stuff was very easily available through the mail. And Anthony was the one who came up with the idea of classifying birth control as obscenity. The amazing thing was, so this was around 18, you know, the early 1870s, most Americans didn't think of it that way. At that time that, that he got the idea to call it obscenity, if you were married and you had a child that you didn't want, maybe you already had three or four and you had a fifth and you couldn't afford it, you got your abortion provided by your family doctor. If he wouldn't do it, you went to what was called an irregular, which was a woman who had been trained perhaps homeopathically, perhaps in Europe, and she would do the procedure for you. So I'm, th I'm throwing a lot at you, but he got the law passed because of his association with these very, very powerful guys, and it changed everything. Um, so for the first time in history, contraception was considered obscene, and mailing it was considered a criminal act. And the, the penalties and, and uh, sentences associated were extremely steep. So you kind of had two things happen at the same time. Suddenly, contraception is obscene, and suddenly you can get in a lot of trouble for mailing it. And by the way, I should add that it wasn't just illegal to mail like a vaginal syringe, it was illegal to mail information about an abortion which could be a newspaper that contained ads for abortionists. And all the papers that we, we love today, the New York Times, you know, papers like the, the New York Sun and, and the Herald, which were papers of that time, they had tons of abortion advertising in the back. So these were in mainstream papers. It was not like, you know, the ads you might see in an adult magazine. It was not niche advertising. Um, that was how you found them. Amy, I actually had read an entire book about the advertising around this and that it was very much done like, hey, women, this is a great supplement for you unless you're pregnant. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, and and kept the, <laughs> yeah, and kept the papers, uh, kept the papers afloat. The advertising was so vital to them. And that's important because some of the ads would talk about female regulation so you know how like you're a teenager and, you know, you, maybe you're a sexually active teenager and the whole discussion used to be, you know, we want her periods to be regular and that's why we're putting her on the pill. Yes. They had a kind of a similar version of that, which was that you would, you would take various um, herbs and things to regulate your cycle when people knew that you could take them following a pregnancy scare. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and it was all very complicated because some of the same things that you could use um, immediately after sex, women would use after they knew that they were pregnant. And so there was a lot of conflation, you know, e even among ordinary people of contraception versus abortifacients. 
Mm-hmm. Penny Royalty and Blue Cohosh were uh, the things that people used. Fun fact. Uh, they called it a little blue pill. <laughs> little They blue have these pill. crazy names like, yeah, Savin and, and Tansy. I mean, it sounds like a, a child's um, nursery rhyme, except, <laughs> except for what it did. So what evidence did you find to support the notion that Anthony Comstock literally hated women? And would he have admitted to that label? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, I mean, the evidence that I found that he hated women was he had no compassion for the idea of a woman who might become pregnant, for example, um, due to prostitution, He felt that prostitution was a vice. And so, you know, his negative attitudes toward unwanted pregnancy, even though he had like general compassion for the poor, um, he kind of reserved that for women who were making their living selling, selling sex. And by the way, like in the 1870s, one estimate is that 10% of women between 15 and 30 prostituted themselves in some way in that period of 1860s, 1870s, it was so hard to make a living for women that you had a lot of women supplementing their income, say, working as a milliner with, um, you know, it could be going out on a date for, you know, and getting treated to dinner. There were all different versions of, of prostitution. So that was one thing. He, he had a very immoral view of women who became pregnant um, by accident. He also did not believe that families should make these choices on their own. It's like he couldn't even really understand how a loving, married, Christian husband and wife together might make this decision. It seems later in life that he gave an interview to the New Republic where he appears to say that withdrawal is acceptable, but the language that he used was very strange. (laughs) And that wasn't until around 1915, which was right around the time that he died. So we don't really know, was he saying all along? And by the way, don't we all know, withdrawal doesn't always work. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's like very famously not good. (laughs) It's the the Catholic method of birth control. And Catholics have a million kids unless they're (laughs) using, you know, other birth control that's better. Yeah, and rhythm which now we call it natural family planning. And, you know, if you really, really do it and you take your, uh, you check your cervical mucus and you take your temperature, you know, it, it can be somewhat efficient. But in those days, they thought that your most fertile time was right after your period and your least fertile time was the middle of the cycle. So they had it completely backwards. <laughs> Even if you listen to your doctor, like from from a rhythm perspective, you you would probably get it wrong. But just to answer your question about um, did he think he did? Did he think he hated women? Um, He he was so religious that he believed in this idea of the Victorian ideal, which was the wife and the mother are the center of the family. They are the moral anchor and a woman's highest purpose is to be a good wife and to have many babies. And it's really shocking and startling that his mother's death related to childbirth, which I'm the only person that's ever written about, uh, didn't put him on a different path. Yeah, I wonder if there was a part of him, I mean, I don't want to armchair psychoanalyze him, but I'm going to. I wonder if there was a part of him that sort of like, 
blamed her for her. De- I mean, she she made the ultimate sacrifice, but it was also like he thinks that it was a decision that she made, or it was a it was a thing that she that she uh, yeah she made choices that led to her death um, instead of uh, you know the fact that the death was very preventable. I wonder I wonder if that's something that was kind I, of I think. It- yeah, I think it was more, um, of course she should have six, you know, of course she should have seven children. I mean, this was, this was the ideal. His father eventually, um, married somebody else, um, after she died. Uh, and so he had a bunch of, of, uh, half siblings. So was Comstock looked at as a weirdo in his time? I mean, it sounds like he's part of a religious community that was fairly common, but were his views in line with the mainstream and, and how did people forget about the Comstock Act for a while because it seems like it was in effect and it was really like impacting what was sent over the mail. But then everyone was kind of like, no, nah, we're not doing that anymore. H- how did that all come about? Well, I think what happened was the times really started to change right around the end of his life. He died in 1915, as I mentioned before. In, in that first 15 years of the 20th century, cultural attitudes shifted to the idea that families should make these decisions on their own. Um, the other thing that happened is that women started being able to get an education and have pathways to some more economic independence. And so I think that just the climate of New York was a little more toward, um, you know, government not interfering in these choices. He was caricatured, you know, from the very, very beginning as there, as as totally out of touch. There was, there's an amazing cartoon where he's dragging this woman in like a nightgown behind him. He's looking up at a judge and the caption sa- says, it reads in quotes, your honor, this woman gave birth to a naked child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like this is this is what people thought of. So then, when he got older, they would, you know, he had these mutton chops, and they would they would sort of satirize him and make him seem much older than he was. So I think that he, you know, the times change. And of course, by the way, I should mention, you know, early twentieth century was the beginning of what was called the birth controllers. It wasn't too long after that you, that Emma Goldman came on the scene, and then Emma Goldman became friends with Margaret Sanger, and. Margaret Sanger popularized the idea of birth control. She's very controversial now, but the the piece of the story that's fascinating to to me is that um, birth control came around at a time when the socialist movement was very powerful in the United States and very popular, and a lot of Americans voted on the socialist line. So yeah, he he nobody ever liked him though, even when he was in his early twenties. Because what kind of a person gains pleasure from shutting down dirty booksellers? He was, I don't know, a little sadistic, I think. (laughs) A a real Mike Pence, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) And he would like, just just to put this into context, he would like knock on an abortionist's door, use a fake name, and then beckon across the street with a white handkerchief to a reporter that he had brought along— and raid the house. He had all of these different pseudonyms. It was so weird. It reminded, you know, there's someone that you've covered a lot on this network who 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 used pseudonyms, who answered the phone under, you know, this weird name. You guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, John Barron. Yeah. John Barron, yeah. And then, but there was that weird thing where, like, Comstock would 
he would invent like a family, like he was Mr. Farnsworth and then there was a fake Mrs. Farnsworth. So it's, it's yes, there's a lot to, to analyze psychologically. And he also decoyed people, which is incredibly controversial. Um, he would travel across state lines, to example, Greenwich, Connecticut. By the way, if I were ever engaged in like a sting, I would try to find a way to spend a night in Greenwich, Connecticut also, because it's really nice. <laughs> and, he would, and he would like send a letter requesting some obscene material. And then, and then it was um, interstate mail. Mm. You know, and so there's a lot of controversy over whether um, that should even be legal, you know, Mm. whether you should be able to trick people that way. So he was a he was an ugly guy. (laughs) So, Amy, why does the law? Here's a layup. Why does the law have new relevance today? And are there any public figures in particular who have a concerning level of interest in the Comstock Act? You know, Greg Abbott. I mean, it's pe- people people you talk about uh, talk about all the time. Um, Dobbs was surprising to many people and not surprising to others. I think that we are in a little bit of a different landscape because of medication abortion. It's interesting when you look back on that kind of full circle question. Women were doing various versions of medication abortion even 130 years ago, but they were herbs and they weren't very reliable. So there was always a bit of a concept around privacy and abortion and basically self-aborting, you know, with nobody around you. Um, I think that that's going to protect some women, the fact that if you can do it early enough, medication abortion is relatively safe. But... I think what disturbs me is we're we're once again living in an era where abortion is being judged as a moral choice and an immoral choice specifically. And the little bit of research that I've done economically is that we know that abortion changed women's class. It enabled them to have pathways to the middle class in a way that had never happened before. The pill also did. Um, and the impact, the economic impact on the women that cannot get them, and then secondarily, the economic impact on the providers, which I think is something we don't talk a lot about. The providers don't seem able to necessarily move to another state. They're terrified to practice, and they don't seem to have a very good time moving into other professions. So we have like all of these things conflating now um, and, and, and harming women. So yes, you're right. Like we didn't talk about the Comstock law for a long time. Griswold, which was this famous case, um, I think it was 1972 or 1973, uh, was the one that allowed uh, an unmarried woman to receive contraception from her doctor. The, the first law was that a married woman could get contraception from her doctor. And then Griswold was unmarried. Like, we have to think, like, in our, okay, maybe not your lifetimes, but, um, you know, this is in my lifetime. And and then uh, it was 100 years after the Comstock Act in 1973. Um, So I think what happened was it fell off the map, right? You'd kind of hear about an obscenity case here or there, and someone would say, you know, this was a remnant of the Comstock law. And then we didn't start hearing about it again until Dobbs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, and and it was cited in the in the Texas judge Kazmarek his yeah. uh, his case where he ruled that that uh, the abortion pill was not was not safe and shouldn't be legal. He cited the Comstock Act, which is bananas. Absolutely, guy, bananas to me. Can we just repeal it? Can a can a legislature just be like, oh, that's not a law anymore, so the judges can't use it? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I, maybe they should. The thing that's complicated is that abortion law itself was separate from the Comstock law. What he did is he criminalized your ability to mail information and mail stuff. I guess that's where that's coming into play in terms of medication abortion. In terms of the provision of services where you would go to a person, that was regulated by the states. Mm -hmm. And I was really shocked to discover that abortion law in the United States was very permissive until around the 1840s. And basically what happened in the 1840s is you had these male doctors realizing that the entire abortion trade was dominated by women, women who, of course, did not have medical degrees because, one, they couldn't get them. And number two, you could provide a safe abortion without having one. It's not the most complicated procedure. So the men, and this is all written about in a book called Disorderly Conduct by Carol Smith Rosenberg, the men decided we got to get in on this, right? Because abortion is a specialty, but it's always also been a business. And that was when they decided to form medical societies and say that only a licensed physician could provide one. And so all of these, you know, you know, the med schools, Harvard Medical School and these places, a lot of them were founded around the 1840s. And the reason is that men wanted to get into the business. And so what did they do? They created a barrier to entry. And the barrier to entry was a medical education because at that time, it was extremely rare for women to have medical degrees, which makes you think, once again, that they wanted, they wanted in on it, and mm-hmm. then they fucked it up for all of us. <laughs> oh, man. I, we could do an entire show on the history of uh, gynecology as a discipline, but it would yes. be very heavy and difficult to get through because hard yikes. Hard <laughs> yikes. <laughs> do you want to hear one fun fact about contraception in the 19th century? Absolutely. There was a douche that could also water your plants. So when it was in one position, <laughs> oh, plant, and wow. then you would kind of move it around. The wow. ultimate, the ultimate transformer <laughs> for all of your bush needs. Ah, but up, up. Ah, okay, Amy. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This was super fascinating. Um, you've had a career that runs the gamut. You've been a columnist, screenwriter, author. What's up next for you? I am working on a book that deals with a censorship case in the 1960s, and I need an awesome agent to help me shop it. So once I find (laughs) that person, I'm super excited. It's about sort of sex, the sexual revolution, and and First Amendment protection in in the early 1960s. Ooh, that sounds groovy. I would really would read. 100%. Will read. Will read. (laughs) Uh, Amy Sohn, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for writing the book. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, more hysteria. (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. To, I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. 
Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like denim shirt, denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who lay low during eclipse season. Our guest today is a New York Times bestselling author and our favorite astrologer. I love her podcast, Astrology of the Week Ahead, and have found her to be a source of wisdom, empathy, insight, and encouragement, especially during these troubled times. Chani Nicholas, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited that you're here. So we just started Scorpio season on Monday. What's the uh-huh. significance of this time of year in astrology? Well, it's a time of year that in the Northern Hemisphere, of course, we're moving into winter. We've just passed the fall mark, and now we're moving into like darker and darker days. And of course, we've got Halloween, Samhain, Day of the Dead. We've got these festivals that mark the, the importance of understanding that there we are part of a larger life cycle, which means that everything ends, including us. And so it is definitely a moment where we are asked to like go into a more kind of like internal reflective space and to think about the ways in which we're connected to a larger cycle of life. Do you do anything special for Samhain? I, you know, we usually have a dinner and we do like an honoring of ancestors with friends and and have a meal and cook the foods of people that have passed like their favorite foods and oh, honor them and, and tell stories about them yeah oh that's really lovely yeah it's a really sweet easy yeah thing. what does october's lunar eclipse in taurus mean coming up on your podcast this week you mentioned that eclipses are not a good time to perform rituals why not and um what did ancient practitioners of astrology believe eclipses represented well i mean this has been a incredibly harrowing eclipse season. We had an eclipse on the 14th of October and the next one is on the 28th of October. And eclipse seasons usually mark a beginning or ending in our life, either personally or collectively. And they're the nature of them is to eclipse light, right? So either the sun or the moon gets eclipsed and the sun and the moon are sources of life. And so ancient astrologers thought of them as 
not like amazing moments because they make the energetic connection or the symbolic, the the symbol of life go out. And so it does feel like a time that is unsteady and unstable and where we're unsure of how to like plug in and get that energetic reserve. So Mm -hmm. I think we could say that the world feels, this is a a very, um, you know, this, the, this eclipse season is happening at a time where the world feels especially uh, rocky and mm-hmm. like we're in a place of a lot of unknowns. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let's get into that a little bit because uh, anecdotally, these last few months have felt just pure bad vibes, instability. Um, and then on on an individual level for me, and then on a global level, of course, we're seeing bad vibes, instability, confusion. Um, Besides the eclipse of it all, what in astrology can give us insight into why these last couple months have felt so off? Well, like, A of all, like, we had a Venus retrograde throughout the summer, and then we rolled right into eclipse season, and we had a Mercury retrograde overlapping. So all of that can feel like it's not a great time to move forward with things. It's a good time to reflect on things, but it's a time where a lot of relationship issues come up. And because these eclipses, this eclipse season is ruled by Venus, it is about our relationships with each other, but it's also about our collective cohesion or lack of cohesion. So usually when Venusian things like start happening, which they've been happening since June and into the rest of October, the feeling is like what tears us apart and what what brings us back together and what is the nature of our relationship. And also one of the biggest themes about Venus is justice. What is just, what is unjust, what is fair, what is equality and what needs to happen for equality to come into, you know, our, our lived experience, what would need to be released, what would need to be gained. And so we can look around and see a lot of those issues. Of course, over the summer we had you know, Venus is also representative of women and LGBTQ folks. And over the summer, we had like, uh, you know, a lot of women come to the foreground. We had the Barbie movie. We had Beyonce concert renaissance. We had Taylor Swift's and like women and the industries that they were in were really dominating a lot of the headlines. So that was like a positive way, I think, that, you know, that could manifest. But we always want to think about astrology as mirroring something to us. So it's not that the astrology is making something happen. Mm-hmm. It's that it's giving us a reflection of a t- of the quality of time we're about to live in. And then, of course, we as, cho- as humans choose how we want to meet that moment. And so as an astrologer, I look at eclipse season and I'm like, okay, I'm going to expect it's going to get shady and weird and, and a little shadowy and like it's going to feel a little unsteady. So I'm not going to expect life to go really smoothly during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned before that um, that sometimes it helps to think about as- astrology a little bit like a weather report. Like this is, yeah. these are the conditions going on around. So, you know, on that note, when do you see things kind of <laughs> becoming a little bit less chaotic? <laughs> Any this sunshine the in the forecast? <laughs> that anybody... You know, look, this is the thing. It's just like life. It's like there's moments. There's like these really beautiful little moments and they might be sandwiched in between difficult ones or there might be like a little bit of a stretch of time, but there's always multiple things going on. So there's that piece where it's like, it's never going to be just easy because that's not what what life is and that's not what we came here to do. So if we're looking for that, we're going to be probably fairly dismayed. But Mm -hmm. I think there's really 
creative ways to approach the moment, whether we know about astrology or not. Like I use astrology as kind of like a roadmap, but we're always going to be in moments that are going to expect the best from us and, and stretch us to become something greater than we maybe have been. And then there'll be little pockets of ease. So the little pockets of ease will definitely come. There's some, you know, interesting, there's some, there's some moments like in 2024 that I'm really looking forward to. And then there's some moments in 2024 that I'm like, oh, that's a massive red flag. And (laughs) to know what we are also going into in 2024 is it's a kind of, it's a interesting overlay. And I think the most important thing we can do is to not be afraid of it, but to use it as like information of like, okay, given that, what can I do in these circumstances? So what are you seeing in 2024? Like what themes are coming to the surface? Well, in the spring, there's some really like very interesting uh, connections. There's one thing that's happening. Jupiter and Uranus are coming together in the sign of Taurus for a conjunction. And that hasn't happened. The last time it happened, one of the biggest like uh images that we can take from that time is Rosie the Riveter. Like, yes, we we can do it. Like roll up our sleeves. And so women were entering the workforce in a whole new way. Um, And so I do think that there's going to be something of a kind of advancement or an experimentation or something maybe to do with gender, to do with economy, to do with technology that, that does feel in some way, shape or form positive. It's a very like experimental growth kind of moment. And so I wonder in terms of like equity or in terms of something to do with the the landscape of a workforce changing if something will happen around then. I will say that one of the like the red flags of the year is in August and there's a pileup of planets in Gemini happening at the beginning of August and there everything is square Saturn and it feels like a lot of rhetoric and a lot of talk and a lot of information or misinformation or disinformation uh, could be flying around. Now, mm-hmm. of course, in the United States, that lines up with a pretty intense election cycle. So given that, what I think we mm-hmm. should do, I think the, the energy of, of 2024, the astrology of 2024 says once we get into the later spring, it's going to be a lot of um, distraction and a, a, lot, a big disperse of energy and a big disperse of attention. And so what I think we should do is be hyper-focused in little sprints. Like how do we drive people towards the things that we most need to get accomplished in the years in, in little short chunks of time? I think if we think of the year in like a whole year, it'll be overwhelming for us. And I think people are going to be really overwhelmed. And so I think we should do sprints, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, how are we going to move the masses in this way for the next like three weeks or six weeks, or maybe even 12, if that's, you know, could feel like even too big of a chunk of time, but it feels like we need to be like, okay, we're going to do this. And then that's done. And then we're going to do this. And then that's done, but it's all connected to one kind of larger strategy. Uh Uh-huh. A bunch of short games involved in one long game. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because like That's... attention deficit is going to be right there. <laughs> I mean, honestly, sometimes when I'm feeling distracted, I have to go around the house and say, I am doing the laundry right now. Right now I am doing the laundry. Once I'm finished with the laundry, I'm going to do the dishes. Then I'm doing. So yeah, we do that, but with everything. An election. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Great. Let's do uh, that with an election. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will take that down as a note. Um, Okay. So 
one thing, you know, looking beyond uh, 2024 even, I've, I've heard in the years leading up to 2020, astrologers looked at what was coming and thought, oh, there's a, something, there's a lot of, there's a lot of possible uh-ohs or some challenges happening in 2020. Is there mm-hmm. anything coming up beyond 2024 that people in the astrology community are noticing as a possible challenge? Well, in 2025, we've got a couple, three, I think, like outer planets that move really slowly, changing signs. And so it feels like 2024 is the, is in a way the last year of like a, a recently known reality. And it feels like in 2025, we're entering into a, a different chapter in a couple of different areas of life. And we won't really know like how it's going to roll out, but there's, this is, we're finishing something up and in 2025, there's going to be a lot of changeover. Hmm. Um, so, you know, what happened in 2020 was, was a very, very, very unique pileup of disastrous astrological events. Okay. It just so happened to coincide with the, you know, a major pandemic and it was, very much on brand for what the astrology was. We don't necessarily have that like happening in the next year or two, but because of these major planetary changes, there is going to be a lot of new stuff that we're going to be contending with. That's like Mm -hmm. not from the story of the last decade or decade and a half or even two decades. It's a Mm -hmm. new thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we can kind of feel that already. Like we're moving into like a new world. We've, we, we're, we're contending with problems that we haven't had to contend with before. Right. And and whatever is going to come and lead us in the next direction is not something that we're aware of yet. It might be something that's like, there's a pivot coming up and it might not be something that we see coming. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and it will probably start to, you know, emerge within 2024 and then in 2025 be like, oh yeah, this is a, okay. This is a different thing. Well, I'm I'm like kind of a Luddite at heart. So every time something new comes up technology-wise, I'm like, that's not going to be a thing. Like I saw a, yep. a commercial for a camera phone when they were first coming out. And I was like, why would you need a camera in your phone? What a silly idea. Um, it would so, be so narcissistic. Yeah. What a silly. Why would, I, why would you need that? You have the camera around your wrist already, the little like, you know, silver rectangle. So yeah, don't come to me for any technological uh, prognostications. Um, finally, Chani, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, does practicing astrology help you process the news in a more healthy way? I know it can be just overwhelming right now. Um, and, and what do you do when you need to take a break? I think on one hand, trying to, like on one hand, it's when things aren't terrible, then you can be like, oh, wow, look at how that showed up. Like how fascinating that over the summer women would dominate and Venus, the planet of women is pulling focus because it's retrograde. And so that felt like, I was like, thank God. I thought, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but that was a nice, (laughs) nicer thing than could have happened happening. And then when an eclipse season like this rolls around, it's a, it's about necessary change having happened, but you also, as an astrologer, don't want to be like trying to astrologize tragedy. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. also this thing of like, who fucking cares what the astrology is right now? Sorry for swearing. Who cares what the astrology is <laughs> you right could now? Swear on this podcast. <laughs> um, there's there is a major, uh, you know, tragedy happening at this moment, and that's all that really matters. And then 
you know, you can look back on it and, you know, you're thinking as an astrologer, as it's happening, like, whoa, this is, this is a, this is not a great manifestation or mirroring of what's going on in the sky, but it doesn't really matter right now. What, Mm -hmm. What matters right now is human suffering and how to alleviate it. So it, it is a contextualization and sometimes you don't even want it because you, because it doesn't feel appropriate or it, it doesn't matter in yeah. a way. How do you pull yourself away from when, when it starts to feel like th- that you're being like sucked deeper and deeper into like, like you said, astrologizing tragedy or feeling helpless? Like how do you kind of refine your strength? I think that's what's really important. I had somebody on an IG Live recently, uh, Deepa Ayer, who has done work on a model, beautiful work. I highly recommend everybody go check her work out uh, on like that we all have roles connected to social change. So not any any one of us is not supposed to do everything, right? It's it's not my job to understand foreign policy. Like I, that's not my expertise. I don't know that. What my job is, is to put out work hopefully that helps people feel a little bit of grounding, a little bit of relief or a place where they can kind of land and, and find a little bit of nourishment. And that's where I have power and that's what my talent is. And that's what works in my life. And so when the world starts to call on us for things that are beyond our capacity, I think we have to like recenter ourselves. Like, where is my agency? What can I do in this moment? What suffering can I leave here and now? What, how can I be a part of the solution in a way that is going to be generative and helpful for, let's say, like a movement or a situation and also not lead to like my ultimate burnout? And because when I'm burnt out, I tend to be destructive, you know, so it's like not good. So how can we center in what we do do really well and what our offering is to the collective and focus on that? and be able to, to kind of like rest within that. And when we're called to do something new, we try that out and we see how our talents and skills can serve in new and different ways. But we also know where to kind of, I think, rest in what it is we've got capacity for, but also what it is, how, how we can actually be useful in the world. Chani, thank you so much. That was a really lovely answer. I kind of felt myself feeling like, yes, that is exactly what I'm supposed (laughs) to be doing. Um, Thank you so much for your work. Uh, Listeners, if you want to catch her podcast, she does an Astrology of the Week podcast that I listen to every week. It's really, really useful. You can also check out her app, which is, I think, the best of the... Caroline, it's the best of the astrology apps, 100%. Um, Check out her app. And uh, thank you so much for your insight, your wisdom. We really appreciate having you. Thank you for having me back. All right, announcements for the class. We love Karayuma and their comfortable, cool, sustainably made sneakers. I'm wearing them right now. You are? And are your feet feeling sustainable and cool? Yes, absolutely. Actually, they're they're so comfortable that sometimes I forget that I'm wearing them. Like, I forget about my feet. You know what mm. I'm talking about? Like, I know exactly really what you talked about. Shoe, I don't think about my feet. And then I look down and I'm like, oh, these are cute. I look put together. 
We love them so much that we just released our second collaboration with them, a Love It or Leave It sneaker. They come in pink and black and have a really fun LA-inspired design with lots of details Love It or Leave It fans will recognize. We're gearing up for canvassing season, so now is the perfect time to step up your shoe game with super comfortable sneakers crafted with consciously sourced materials. Plus, Karyuma plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest for each pair purchased. Head to crooked.com store to grab a pair. There's a high-stakes November coming up, and it might not be the November you're thinking of. The media hype has turned to 2024, but that won't stop 2023 elections from having massive implications for abortion access, voting rights, and more. From the Virginia legislative elections to the Ohio reproductive rights ballot measure, we've got work to do in the next few weeks. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash years to learn more and find out how you can get involved. And welcome back. We're almost to the end of the show. We're going to do a really quick abbreviated Sandy Petty this week because um, we have a lot of show for you and we don't want to just we don't want to monopolize your entire time. What are we, a Netflix documentary that has eight parts when it should have three? No, (laughs) we respect you. We respect you. So, uh, and Alyssa and I also have been trying to kind of stay off social media as yes. much as possible. It's it's not very it's not a very healthy space right now, and uh, so we're not really like you know being made sane by anything that we find or see or whatever. But luckily, there's one member of the Hysteria fam who has not been able to resist the siren song of social media and has what she has called lesbian soccer scandal to recount for all of us. <laughs> Caroline Reston. Senior producer of Hysteria. Welcome. Can't wait to hear all about it. Oh, my God. Thank you. I was just saying before this, I, like, fact-checked the shit out of this because I wanted to make sure I got it right because I'm just so terrified of the lesbians of TikTok getting mad at me. <laughs> same, um, but same. <laughs> yeah, I none of us I finally made it onto the algorithm, and I am just, like, so happy to be here. I don't want to get kicked off the algo. So, <laughs> okay. So, Alyssa, I know you're super well-versed in women's soccer, right? Uh, deeply. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, no. So I'm so, I've been so deeply entrenched in this huge scandal happening in women's soccer right now. It's been, it's set the interwebs ablaze. Everything is about this scandal. And I'm talking about the juicy and dramatic unfolding and divorce between two women's national soccer team players, Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger, also known as Crashlyn. So there are a few things you need to know about this couple. Uh, First, they met on the U.S. women's national team camp and became really close friends and teammates. They've won two World Cups together in 2015 and 2019. Um, And both ended up finishing their careers together on New York Gotham FC, which is one of the teams of the league. Um, And in that time, they started dating and they got engaged in 2019. And in 2019 was a huge year. That was the year the women's national team won the World Cup. It's the year they got married. And the wedding was a BFD. Huge fucking deal for for the youngins. Um, and it was like covered by Vogue. Megan Rapino was the maid of honor. Like every single soccer player royalty was there. Abby Wambach, Glennon Doyle. It was like a huge, huge, huge affair. Big deal. They were like the 
gay Kate and William of, <laughs> of women's soccer. They're both gorgeous people. So they were people you wanted to look at and people really rooted for this couple because they had just a beautiful story of playing together, falling in love, getting married. And in 2021, they announced that they had adopted a daughter and the following year adopted a son. So like I said, a beloved couple in the community. And so in September, it was a shock. And by the way, their Instagram is like them posing together, looking super hot, like with their kids. Like they really portrayed this like very happy family, which I think they were because in September of this year, it was alleged that Ashlyn had completely blindsided Allie Krieger and filed for divorce. (gasps) But the divorce didn't go public until October. And it was, yeah, it was the- I'm on it. I Googled. The week it went public was the same week that Allie Krieger announced her retirement. And it was her big retirement week for soccer and playing for Gotham. And Allie's brother- Kyle Krieger, who's like a really big, like Insta star, started fucking yapping his mouth about what was going on and said that this leak of the divorce was planned specifically during Allie Krieger's retirement week to take away <gasps> from her shine. Oh, whoa. Because none of it was about Allie Krieger. It was about this couple who everyone loved shockingly breaking up. Wait, so who pissed in Ashlyn's Cheerios? Why Why would that have been leaked that week? Well, funny you ask. Uh, so in that time, Allie and Ashlyn were very quiet on social media. But then Ashlyn, the one who initiated the divorce, changed her Instagram bio and got rid of wifey and proud mom and got fucking dragged for it. And immediately after she changed her bio, all these reports about her dating Sophia Bush started (gasps) coming up This I saw. Everywhere. Now I know what we're talking about. Wait, Sophia Bush was recently married to a man. Not that bisexual people don't exist, but you wouldn't initially... Yes, and so so for people who don't know Sophia Bush, famous from One Tree Hill, also is a Kappa Kappa Gamma sister, so I've always kind of loved her, but she famously has said, I'm not into women because she's kind of become like a little bit of a gay icon from like one like kind of bi role she played. Um, I forget on what show, maybe One Tree Hill. And then just having a lot of women hit on her because she just has like the most like sexy voice. So Sophia Bush, in case you don't also know, is a part owner of ACFC, which is the Los Angeles football Angel team. City. Football club. Yeah. Um, with Natalie Portman, Gabrielle, uh, oh my God, I was saying her name from Desperate Housewives, Eva Longoria. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all these reports of these two started coming out. And then a video came out of, so it was Megan Rapinoe's retirement week. And Sophia Bush and Ashlyn Harris went together <gasps> to Megan Rapinoe's retirement party. And this is all within like a week and a half. Of shit going down. This is 90210 level. Oh my yes. god. Yes. And in the video, they have this like kind of odd interaction where Ashlyn like takes Megan Rapino away from Sophia Bush and have they have it a, looks like, like Megan's mad. I've seen yeah, this video. It, it's a, Megan seems like uh, and Ashlyn's like looking at her deep in the eyes, like, you know, like, come on, like we're still friends. And it's a video that has been like dissected to death. 
Um, and also, fun fact, anyone who remembers Carrie, who was our finance person here at Crooked, do you remember her? Mm-hmm. She now is like a VP at Angel City. And it's just like subtly in the back of all of these videos. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you're all over TikTok. And she's like, oh, oh man. my God. She's like lesbian Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, she honestly... That's exactly when I was talking to her husband about I this. I found the was, video. I'm watching the video. Yeah. Sorry. Continue amongst yourselves. Um, okay. I swear this is wrapping up soon, but it gets even better. So all this shit is happening. All these reports about Sophia Bush and Ashlyn Harris dating and, quote, dated, a f- went on a few dates. So clearly there's some sort of overlap because Sophia Bush also, right when they were getting divorced, announced her divorce. So am I missing anything? Oh, my God. That's pretty dramatic. Now, so after all this has happened, a week ago, so Allie Krieger has been quiet on Instagram. Then all of a sudden, during her retirement week, um, she posted this this, uh, photo of herself with the caption, preparing for playoffs while in my Beyonce lemonade era. (gasps) I saw that one. Confirming that Ashlyn Harris had cheated on her and fucking wronged her and is 100% dating Sophia Bush and most likely cheated on her with Sophia Bush. And the internet exploded and the comments went literally off. Alex Morgan commented on it. What did she say? She said, these comments do not disappoint. Uh, (laughs) Fire emoji. A bunch of other soccer players liked it and commented on it. Jessica McDonald commented, who's uh, another soccer player, commented, it's, this is putting me in labor, LOL. A bunch of other <laughs> players, including Rose Lavelle, liked it. So, oh, and the best part is Gotham FC, their team, Ashlyn and Allie's team, also commented on it. <gasps> you know, a what? team you would think would be impartial. And allegedly, Ashlyn Harris is the creative director of the soccer team and didn't, I guess, have creative direction over their comments. Oh because literally, God. they commented, oh, you'll never recreate her kiss emoji. Oh, my God. And then in the middle of all this, it's Ashlyn Harris's birthday. So the U.S. Women's National Team posts a picture of her like, happy birthday, Ashlyn Harris. (gasps) And everyone's like, fuck her, (laughs) dragging her. Um, And now this whole this whole like narrative that Ali Krieger is like soccer queen and Ashlyn Harris is like a bench warmer and never really played any minutes in the World Cup and isn't really a champion is coming out. Oh, my God. And it's been so dramatic. And um, everyone's kind of wondering where Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird fall in this because they're close friends to both of them. Right. And they also they're like also royalty. Yeah, exactly. But they're like cross departmental royalty Uh because Sue's (laughs) Right, it's basketball. Like, I mean, not to bring up Grace Kelly again, but it's like when Grace Kelly married the Prince of Monaco. Like two different, yes, Hollywood. Yes. You know, I know exactly. Yeah, royalty, whatever. So essentially, like they didn't really take sides, but they went to Ali Krieger's uh, retirement party and wore Ali Krieger fan club T-shirts, and then Sue Bird wore that shirt again to a basketball game. So take that as you will. Oh wow! But it has torn. Actually, it has brought the community together in our hate for Ashlyn Harris. And my girlfriend, who helped me fact-check a lot of this, just what I learned is that, and she's a huge soccer fan, there is a vehement hate for Ashlyn Harris because she's doesn't, she walks the walk without having, like, 
done the cred behind her. Oh my god! You know what? I just I just did a quick thought experiment when you we were talking about this, and it was like, imagine if it were a hetero couple, and it was like an NBA player cheating on a WNBA player. Can you imagine the NBA players' friends and teammates totally wearing shirts that are like? You're a dick. Yeah, it's humiliating, (laughs) but in a really fun way. Well, but I think that's why, like, women are better at a lot of things than men is because there's, like, there's no, like, oh, I got to, you know, bros before hoes. It's like, no, there's one party in here who is objectively, objectively, given the facts that we know, appears to be the one that did the morally wrong thing. Yeah. And the other one appears to have been blindsided by a person doing the morally wrong thing. And so everyone is like, of course we side with the person who wasn't doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that this just made me think of is, first of all, Sophia, Sophia Bush has been silent so far and has not said anything. But, but she's um, got such a sexy voice. I know. We want her to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that this really made me think about is like, look, I don't want the sport to be taken over by like player drama and take away from like something that means so much to so many people. But this is why people need to invest more in like women's sports and why women-led things are so much more fun because there's drama. Like um, like there are there are there during the World Cup. Oh, there is drama in football and basketball. No, but listen, listen. Sports. In the World Cup, there was a game where two people were dating on the team playing another team who one of their ex was on it. That's fun. So it's like a couple is playing one of it's just there's so much yeah. that could be happening more than just personal beefs. Right. And this is something that I think by for many years fostering an environment of homophobia, men's leagues are depriving themselves of. They are absolutely yeah. depriving. Imagine them. if they started dating each other, how much more violent it would get on the field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I think I don't know if this that's, is apocryphal or not, but they said that that's why like in Sparta you fought alongside your lover. Because you play more fiercely if you're defending yeah. your lover. Um, yeah. Or, you know, fighting against your lover. I don't know. <laughs> There's uh-huh. a Sparta soccer team. Um, wow. Anyways, that's. I hope I explained that in a way that made sense. I tried my best. There's so much. I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface of oh. shit that's happening. Great rabbit hole idea for the rest of the day. If anybody needs yeah. something. Yes. Some, if they so want you know, I already started. I already started. You need to retrain your algo right now. Yes. <laughs> Might be a good place to start if you're like, hmm, a lot of stuff don't want to see. Women's soccer. This women's soccer. And Absolutely. These are also, even though I talked said Ashlyn, Ashlyn Harris is like kind of a bench warmer, this is still like the top players of the league embroiled in this drama. So yeah. it just makes it so much more heightened and the stakes so much higher it's just so much fun oh fast and i hope ally creaker is okay yeah i hope she's i hope those kids are okay i know Ugh. well i hope they don't have instagram well <laughs> well ashlyn did add their or names TikTok. back to instagram of being a proud mom so oh, okay. i'm sure they're good yeah woof okay well caroline that was super fascinating thank you for providing us with a sanity corner diversion yes <laughs> i'm so happy to do it and that is all the time we have for this week's episode of hysteria we'll do a listener shout out next week the show went pretty long so get in touch hysteria at crooked.com we read all your letters we love you we love communicating with you hanging out it's you guys are the best uh amy stone thank you so much for joining us i also want to thank Channy nicholas for joining us and talking about Scorpio season, which is a very fun, spooky season. And it's also Caroline Rustin's birthday. Thank you, Caroline Rustin, for joining us on the mic this week. Alyssa Mastromonaco, thank you for being my ride or die. Per usual, 
as always. And listeners, thanks to you once again. There will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach. Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. 